Gig Gab, the show for working musicians, episode 349 for Tuesday, July 5th, 2022. Welcome to Gig Gab, the show by, for, and about working musicians here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Napomo, California, it's Paul Kent. Yeah. Well, here we are. We are uh, th- we are recording this on, well, I put Tuesday in the show notes. For me, it, it, it's, it's technically it's slight, slightly into Wednesday, um, but uh, which I think makes it the latest we've ever recorded. But to me, see, the date for me doesn't change until I go to sleep. Cause I'm up until like two in the morning every day. So it's, it's like still Tuesday for me. And then I'll musicians go to hours. Yeah. I'll go to sleep. I'm, I, I, listen, I'm, I'm doomed to this, right? I'm a musician and I'm a computer nerd. So like the whole late night thing is just part and parcel of, of, you know, who I am. So yeah. be the vampire. Kinda. Yeah. Kinda. I don't know. I, I still like sunshine. I, I just, <laughs> I, I, I am, I am more productive between the hours of, midnight and let's say 11 a.m. than I am from 11 a.m. until, you know, whatever, 6 p.m. or something like that. So. You ever have to play a morning gig? Yeah, I've done, I've done quite a few of them. It's, I mean, it's not altogether common uh, for obvious reasons, but yeah, I've done plenty of morning gigs. Sure. I don't, I don't think I've played one earlier than 11. There's one place oh. that's asked us to play. That's like this, like this marathon race where they put bands at different you know points of the marathon. Sure. And that's like a seven thirty eight a.m. downbeat type of thing, and I was like, "No freaking way! <laughs> no, no freaking way!" Yeah, we. No, I'm trying. No to good think. music happens at seven thirty eight in the morning. I, I, uh, I don't know. I disagree. We've we played. I'm trying to think. There was there was a town festival that we used to play every year called Durham Day because I live in Durham, New Hampshire, and I think those we would start playing by like. 10 or 10 30 in the morning. But then I think earlier than that were the tailgate parties that we would play at the university of New Hampshire for the homecoming game every year. Oh yeah. You talked about those. Well, and I did one and, and then drove to the airport and flew to the other coast and played your birthday party the same night. So, so the morning gig allowed for that to happen is is really how it worked. But yeah, we would play. That's not, that's not only a morning gig. That's a morning gig in New England in October. Which was that's, it? Was it crazy cold yet? It it was. It wasn't terrible that particular time. I remember that day, and I, I you know I probably had a sweatshirt on in the morning or something. Sweatshirt and jeans. It wasn't t shirt and shorts. But um, but yeah, it wasn't like terrible or anything. Yeah, yeah. I remember that day. It was good. I don't know. That was, that was a fun I was day. I thinking about you. I felt I was like Phil Collins. the other day and thinking about drummers that I've played with in my life and how it's interesting how drummers are all so freaking different. I mean, I mean, you know, all musicians and all instruments are probably are probably, you know, have their own fingerprint to their to their sound or whatever it is. But I'm thinking of the of the five drummers that I've mostly had in my life over the last 20 years. Sure. And how different how different their sound is, how different their feel is, how different their preparation is, how different their musical knowledge is. It's 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 a very interesting thing to me 
in that in the nuance of that difference the and all of them are all of them are very good drummers sure but but all of them made the stuff that i do pop in different ways at different times in different songs right you know it, it, there's not been one of the five that i played with that has been perfect for my whole repertoire of course right yep that makes sense yeah but but it, does that make sense or is it you know if you if i ever found the guy who was the perfect guy for the entire you know style of music that i like to play grab that guy and hold on because the marriage with a with a drummer who gets you inside and out and can do what you want to do as a rhythm or a band leader you know it like th- does that does that exist well, have you have you ever found like a, an entire musical kinship um you know you've done you've done lots of covers you've done lots of styles of music have you ever found one where kind of like everything clicked and there's just this 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 the sense of intuition that the people you were playing almost from the beginning, this unwritten unsaid thing that the connection was made and the music was great from the beginning. Um, yes, I've had, I've had good connections with people, but I wouldn't say that we were perfectly aligned musically. I, I've never, I've never been, I've never found someone that is, you know, my my bass playing doppelganger, if you will. Right. You know, like mm-hmm. somebody that that just says, yeah, I mean, like I'm thinking of I mean, there, there, there's so many people that come to mind. Uh, it's hard to just name one, but mm-hmm. any even even the people that I would say I like, you know, I'm thinking of my friend Rob Santoro, who I played fairly briefly with down in Connecticut and he and I were cut from much the same cloth. Like I was walking down into his studio to have a rehearsal with him and there's pictures of Miles Davis and Jaco Pastorius and Neil Peart. You know, it's like, Oh, wait a minute. Like, is this my house? Like these are all the same, you know, musical influences, musical heroes, whatever name you want to apply. But and certainly we had a very common musical language and very quickly got up to speed with each other. However, I still learned things from him that I didn't know, you know, because he had experience at the time anyway, that in like funk and the blues that I really didn't have. And so I was able to, to really learn that from him uh, in a, in a huge way. So, like, like, and I don't know that I would want, as you were describing that, that person that's perfect, that has exactly the same thing. I would find that super boring very quickly. I think I, I like I'm different. I, yeah, no, we are different people. That's right. Yeah. I, I, I would, I want to keep learning new things from the musicians that I play with. See, I, I see it as if to find that person who is alchemy with you is I'll finally be able to express what I hear in my head. Hmm. Right. Sure. Yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah. It, it is fun. It is fun when unexpectedly a different style compliments something that's in my head. I like, like Nick is Nick is that way with me. He's, he's a great piano player, but he, he plays a different style than what in my head piano accompaniments sound like. 
Got it. Sure. But, he's, but he he surprises and delights me regularly. Yep. He's he's very good and and that happens. There's other people who are different than the sound in my head and it disappoints me. Right. Oh, yeah, like, I mean there's No, that's not the feel of that song. Like what what are you hearing that that you would make that choice? There's certainly bad fits and 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 that that won't work very well. Uh but good good fits come in many different flavors, I think is is the succinct way i can say that Mm -hmm. i get it yeah i get it i guess you know what i'm still kind of searching for that team that can bring out the expression that i hear in my head the sound the tone of the band yeah Yeah. the 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 flow of the grooves you know the same actually probably one of the biggest things would be the same choices when it comes to space that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do know, you know space you, yeah. is such a premium, right? And uh, you know, a lot of guys, obviously, you know, guys who overplay, you know, you you kind of feel where that's going to go pretty quickly. Yep. You know, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> real fast. Yeah. No, I get it. It is. It, I mean, I mean, there are certain places where it's fun. Let's see what everybody brings and just have some fun with it and just see what what you can make of it. But also there's like getting down to business and, and, you know, wanting to get a completed thought out of my mind, uh, you know, as, as to how a band should flow or how a a song should flow, you know, and um, that's kind of a a bit of a lifelong thing. You know, we've said on this show many times, like planning a band is an exercise in compromise unless you literally are putting your bandmates on, on salary. And, you know, the deal is if you want the gig, you know, the the compromise is take the gig. That's it. Or don't. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. I thought we, I think actually, I don't know if you remember, I, I, I remember being like from the very first note when we had that very first rehearsal at that, at that, uh, at that, uh, was, was that, was that, where was the place we, where we played for the first time at that studio in New York city? Uh, we, very first time. Yeah, because we've were the very first All Star Band thing. Was that Tin Pan Alley? I think that's right. Yeah, I think it was. I think before the very first MacWorld All Stars gig was we we played the gig at the Cooler in uh, in the Meat Packing District as as it as it is want to be called Me Pa. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. I think the rehearsal was at Tin Pan Alley. It sounded awful. In I think that that's room. right. Yeah. Well, and remember, we had like we didn't even know who was going to show up and you know want to be a part of this thing we're putting <laughs> True. together. But I do remember, like for the first thing that we did, I think Mustang Sally might have been the first song that we did, and I think Possible. you, uh, yeah. you know, you just laid it down. And I was like, oh yeah, this guy can play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, good old Mustang Sally. I mean, it's but you well, know that's an important groove. You just got to play it straight. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, I, that, but that's a good song to feel out, a, especially a cover band and, and specifically that kind of cover band where it's, you know, coming together for one gig. We didn't know if there was going to be a second gig, right? You know, right. so right. Uh, it that was, yeah. And we really, you and I knew each other, but we certainly, I wouldn't, we didn't have a friendship. We were friendly with each other for sure. But, uh, but you know, that was, that was certainly adding another layer. Like 1999 or something, right? It would have been 99. 97? No, yeah. no, I think it would have been 99. Yeah, summer of 99. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Right. Yeah, it is amazing. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, 
Yeah, I mean, I get it. You know, there's the times when you want to play and just see what everybody else brings to it. And then there's, you know, at least for me, there's the, you know, I hear something and I, and I want to get to that place. And it, it is kind of a lifelong pursuit of disappointment to, you know, <laughs> that it's, it, it, but that's me, you know, that, yeah. that's that I mean, I can map that to many things in my life. Sure. So I, I have a different angle to approach this on. It's actually, believe it or not, something I had put on the agenda. I wound up and, and I want to circle back to, to this in from a different way in a minute, but I wound up on Thursday. My wife and I have been empty nesters for the last two weeks. And on Thursday at about noon, I, uh, I got an email that indicated that uh, there were plenty of tickets still available for the James Taylor show at the new, uh, not new at the local outdoor concert venue, you know, and I, I said, and it was a perfect day, like just pristine. And I said to Lisa, while I was eating my lunch, I'm like, Hey, you want to go see James Taylor tonight? She's like, you know, I was going to ask you the same thing. And we looked and we wound up with eighth row seats and it was great. And, as I was making, as I was making this decision, it was like, okay, well, you know, what's the set list look like? Who's on tour with him? Cause he called it, it was, or the tour was called James Taylor and his all-star band. And I was like, well, who's in the all-star band? And I looked and it, Steve Gadd is playing drums. Jimmy Johnson's playing bass. Uh, Larry Golding's playing piano. Blue Lou Marini is playing saxophone. Uh, James's son is actually a harmony singer. And, and so it was like, okay, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had been thinking a lot about Steve Gadd that week. And that's the part I want to circle back to. Cause it was this like synchronicity of the universe moment. And I thought, yeah, okay, let's go. Sure. It was perfect. So, you know, we got some sushi to tailgate before the show and, you know, enjoyed the heck out of it. it was, and it was a fantastic show. Uh, as you might imagine, as I was looking at the website, though, after realizing who was playing, and I think even after I bought the tickets, I was reading some of their bios and the way that they did the bios on on the particular website for this tour was they had each musician answer some questions. Some of the questions were the same. Some were different. They probably they had like four questions per musician. They probably asked them eight and pulled the you know four best answers and put that on the bio sheet and moved on. What was really interesting to me was that the seasoned road dogs, like the A-lister seasoned road dogs. So that, you know, the Larry Golding, the, the Blue Lou Marini, Steve Gadd, Jimmy Johnson. In answer to the question, what's your favorite thing about doing this tour? They all said nice things about the music, all of that stuff. But every one of them indicated that the most important thing was, and they used the same words, the hang. The hang is great. The hang is fantastic. And it's like, oh, look at this. Like, these are people that ostensibly could, you know, I mean, they, they couldn't have any gig they wanted, but they have plenty of gigs to choose from, right? You know, these are the A-listers out there. They can play with the people. They, they can choose the right gig for them. And the hang was clearly the thing that made them decide to sign this contract. You know, they... they Play any kind of music with any kind of people, you know, any kind of artists. And, and the hang was super important. And I had heard that about James Taylor and his band going all the way back to when Carlos Vega, I think, was was in the band. And and maybe that's maybe, you know, we can credit Carlos with with creating that vibe there. Certainly, James, wh whoever created it, James has worked very hard to maintain it. Uh, but it was really interesting to me to see every single one of those people 
say, oh, yeah, the hang is the, the key. Here. It makes sense, though, right? Right? It totally makes I mean, a sense. Dollar, a dollar is a dollar, but if, I mean, if if you can if you can if you can enjoy the dollar, you know why why wouldn't that elevate an opportunity? Absolutely, that's it. Absolutely, yeah. The the gig is two hours, two and a half, maybe. You know, the, <laughs> that leaves twenty one and a half hours. Now they don't have to spend all their downtime together, and they probably don't, but they have to spend a good chunk of it together, and so sure. you know that hang becomes super important. And, uh, and the music is, is already pre-decided, right? You know, you're playing James's songs. You're not playing Steve right. Gadd's songs. You're not playing Blue Lou's songs. You're playing James's songs and you're playing them the way James wants you to play them. Uh, he, he is, he comes across as a very warm and welcoming band leader. Everything, every word out of his mouth is we, we made this record. We wrote this song. We did yeah. this. You know, though, who is the boss. And I have heard that James is very particular about the way the songs need to be delivered. But, I mean, you know, he's got a catalog that goes back 50 years. He's, you know, it it makes sense that it's got to be the way he wants to deliver it so that there's some consistency from. Those two things must go together, right? Yeah. You know, like he's particular, but that doesn't mean he's a jerk about being particular. Probably he probably picks people who you know, can deliver on that particular. Yep. And the type of person who can deliver James particular, it makes sense to me that that's the type of person who would value a hang. Exactly. Because he's probably not being a, he's probably not being a dick about his particular, right? Right. No, I don't he think he is. He, he just, right. He's, he's clear. This is how it should be. Let's stop yeah. and fix this and, and get it right. And now everybody's happy or, well, James is happy yeah. and therefore everybody's happy. But, but yeah, no, no, it didn't come across that he was a, a dick about it. it. Either on stage that night or in any of the stories I've heard, I've just heard that he's hard to imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that he's, you know, he knows what he wants to deliver and, and he's, he can be very clear about that. Yeah. 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 But it was, it was fascinating. You know, we played, we talked in the last show about the, the four gig weekend that I had. I didn't talk a whole lot about the final gig, which was this Saturday gig at this place called earth Eagle brewing. Great little room. We did our own sound, which is always better. It's just so much easier. You can, you know, you dial it in, you get exactly what you want. You're in control. Everything was great. It adds some headache. Don't get me wrong, but this is a small enough room that where the headache actually didn't exist. It was, it was great. And we had plenty of time to set up. We just had a rehearsal. We were warmed up. We were loose. The people all came, the, the place was full of people that were super into the band and watching the show and just like noticing many of the nuances that were happening, which was, you know, which is always pleasurable, but it was, it was a, it's a brewery and it was a loud room. In fact, my, our guitar player, John McCormick, uh, as I was out kind of tuning the PA said, do you want me to play your drums? And I said, sure. And so he played my drums and I was like, okay, yep, this level's going to be good. Everything's going to fit in nicely. But he, he didn't know I, I I was using my Ludwig Black Beauty at that point. I had set up my Ludwig Black Beauty snare drum. And there they have these weird sort of janky throw-offs. It's part of the sound. You don't replace it, even though you really want to. Um the throw-off is the thing that controls whether the snares on the snare drum are on or off. And this throw-off was off. He couldn't get it on. So I, I went over and and I I put it on. I said, just play it again. And as soon as he hit the snare drum, it was like, okay, this is way too, like, th- this has way too much presence in this room. It's way too much. Super high-end and harsh in the room. And it, it just, everybody, like, everybody in the band was like, oh, this is going to be a problem. 
And John even was like, well, maybe you need to play with rods. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, do you doubt me? Come on. You know, so the first thing I did was I packed the, the Black Beauty up in a, in a case and I grabbed my uh, birch snare, my Eam snare drum, which is a little bit warmer, a little bit softer and also didn't have a brand new head on it, which my uh, my Black Beauty did just because I had broken the head at the previous gig or I had found it broken. I honestly don't know how it got broken. But anyway, uh, it, so I grabbed the the Eames and put that up and, and it was it fit much better in the room. But it was still pretty clear that, you know, it would be way too easy to overpower this room. And so the the thought I had going into playing this gig as I sat down to play was you got to play like Gad, man, soft hands, soft hands, right? That that was going through my head the entire gig was like, don't hit too hard. You got to, you know, everything, energy, drive, groove, but you got to have soft hands all day. And uh, and it was a wonderful exercise because it it like you're not going to go wrong trying to model Steve Gad, you know, I mean, you, you might not get there, but it's never a, never a bad goal, right? The guy yeah. knows how to play. And with bitter pill, it really is a, that, that is a good approach. And so I had had Gad on the mind all week and, uh, and then, you know, to, to just be sort of presented with this opportunity to actually go see him play after I'd been thinking about him all week was like, Oh man, like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. That sounds great. You ever take a, um, take a clinic from him? No, but that was my thought sitting at that show. It was like, you know, you're you getting a clinic. Oh, I, I got a clinic that night, but yeah. I, but I would, I was, I was going to, I am going to reach out to him and see if he does, you know, lessons and what his rate is and, and maybe go down to New York or whatever and, and take a, you know, take a lesson from him one day. Cause I, I, that, I think that would be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's, he's fantastic. Oh, and it had been, I, I had, you know, Growing up, he was such a, his name was just everywhere. You know, if you yeah. talk drums, you talked Gad, it was, it was a thing. And my drum teacher knew him really well. In fact, I got a, a, a my, I had posted that we were at the James Taylor show and I knew my drum teacher knew both Gad and Blue Lou. In fact, I'd seen him play with, with Blue Lou quite a bit. And, uh, and he's like, oh, Steve and Blue Lou are there. If you see him, tell him I said hi. It's like, yeah, it doesn't work that way at a big venue like this, John, but that's cool, yeah. you know. <laughs> but um, but I hadn't I realized I hadn't seen Gad. I don't think I'd seen him play live since I saw him at the whatever they called it, the Felt Forum or the the Paramount, the theater under Madison Square Garden. Uh, Simon and Garfunkel did a residency in the early nineties and he played with them there. And I think that might've been the last time I saw Gad play live. Did you see the, um, the Clapton one more car, one more driver tour? I did not. I've never seen Clapton. No. Yeah. I don't know. Gad, Gad, Gad and Nathan East make that show just Mm -hmm. crazy. I've seen videos of it. I, I saw Gad, a video of Gad playing uh, cocaine. I mean, it was, it was not just Gad. It was, you know, the whole band, but the first three beats of that song Mm. watching Gad play it, it was like, Oh, that's how you play this song. It was like, ah, I never. Yep. I get it now. Okay. Perfect. I see how it works, you know, (laughs) but um, yeah, he's uh, he, so he's always been kind of a, an influence and a presence even though I've never spent a ton of time obsessing over him, if that makes yeah. sense. I, I kind of didn't have to, cause it was 
by osmosis, it was always right there. You know, I mean, and and also growing up at that point in time, Gad was on every record that wasn't just like a band with a drummer. It was like, you know, it was Gad or maybe maybe Bernard Purdy or something like that. You know, all those Steely Dan records, you had Rick Murata and Gad and Purdy. And that was pretty much, you know, that was it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, he's a he's, he's a Mount Rushmore guy. Yeah, he really is. And and deservedly so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of records, we just played our Bitter Pill record release for our, our new record, Living Ain't Cheap, Dying Ain't Free, which is now out. Uh, you can get it at bitterpillband.com if you want. And um, we did it at the Stone Church on Saturday night after filming a video there all day for one of our songs, Jesus Gonna Pay My Tab. So we figured the Stone Church was the perfect place to film that particular video. So that that was an interesting experience doing playing the song to the record over and over and over again while Jesus turned people's water bottles into cocktails and things like that. Um, you know, made it made it kind of fun. But then we played the then we played the show, and the, I I I think the show is still available for live streaming from the Stone Church's site. So I'll I'll put that in the show notes if anybody wants to go and watch. It was two sets, and I think they they're two separate videos but um but it went really well uh, people we I, I think we played fairly well of course there's a few few things i'd like a second crack at good news we have some more gigs so i'll get a second crack at it but um it like the show went went really well everybody played well and uh the new tunes went over oh, it was great man like it was so nice to be able to play these and and have people like respond to them and and finally be able to hear them. And we'd, we'd held most of them back. So we hadn't been playing them live. Uh, we had to relearn them all from when we recorded them in the studio back in December, but that was okay. You know, it wasn't, that was a fun exercise too. So yeah, we're pretty, I'm pretty stoked about it. I think we captured lightning. Does in Bitter the Pill, um, do a pre pre-show huddle with the band. Um, kind of not, not anything scripted. No fling generally yeah. does. It, it's kind of part of the fling routine as we do a little pre-show huddle. Um, and, and we kept that even now that we have Jamie uh, playing bass, we, we did that same thing before we played at Rochester Opera House. Better pill, not anything official. We do all kind of sync up with each other though. Uh, but, but no, like, you know, let's, let's huddle up and somebody says something inspirational and out we go. There's, there's not that in, in bitter pill. No, not, you know, pre-band huddles are kind of an interesting thing. Uh, I tried to get it started in the house rockers, but mostly I sensed, you know, th- there was a, like a sense of discomfort of having that amount of intimacy, you know, before the, if, if it's not the way your, your guys are wired. Right. Yeah. And I actually would, would project that a little further that even the guys who might've projected that insecurity or discomfort, I bet they actually liked it more than I was giving them credit for. You just couldn't read it. Sure. And so the, the the energy was just a little bit weird. And so I let it go. And now, you know, we just do a fist bump, you know, on stage before our first note. And, you know, that's kind of our, that's cool. our kickoff thing. But um, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, I actually think those things are cool. You know, to the degree that your band is a is a unit and you're on a mission together to, you know, make people happy with the music you're about to play. I actually think that those moments are really Wonderful, but I, you know, maybe my leadership style, whatever it is, it didn't sense like it was a natural thing that was serving the purpose. So I let it go yep. in search of something else. But um, sure, ever been in a band that has religiously done it? Uh, 
No, I don't. I'm trying to think. Ever been in a band that does it well? You know, I've played. I'm I'm thinking of the two trios that I've played in, both uh, the, the trio we call Triple Play and then the Murray Woods Entangled Blue Band that I played in down in Texas. We that band sort of naturally had there are there are when you have a trio, there is far less of a likelihood of there being clicks in the band. Yeah. It, it, right. And and I don't I don't mean to, to imply that there's any issue with sort of the clicks that naturally happen. Like I'm thinking about our gig on on Saturday night before the show. It just so happened that Emily. John and I were up in the green room and so we all sort of bonded and then we, you know, went down and, and played the gig. Um, and, and, you know, Billy Tomer and Mike were, were somewhere else. I don't know if they were together or not, but that like that particular click that Dave, John, Emily click doesn't happen every time. Right. It's not like there, it's not like there's this prescribed thing and it's like, okay, well the, those two people are over here and these three people are there and like this, that, um, but when you're in a trio, if if clicks start to happen, it's because one guy is being ostracized, right? Like there's one one person who is alone now, and and that can be awkward unless that person really chooses and and wants to be alone. So in the in the trios, certainly Murray Woods and Tangle Blue, we would all you know sit at the same table pretty much before every gig, you know, have a drink and and then you know have a beer or whatever, and then go play. And so there would be that sort of natural huddle as a byproduct of it just being a trio like what else are you going to do you know you're going to tell the one guy oh you don't sit with us man we got to play for hours together like that would be kind of weird i i guess i mean i'm sure there's bands where that happens don't get me wrong but i've never been in one so yeah so with 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 murray woods and tangle blue we definitely had uh you know the the it was unscripted but it definitely was the pre-show huddle at pretty much every time in fact most gigs we would all ride together in the, you know, the front seat of one of our pickup trucks with all the gear in the back, too. So that, that was and I really liked that, you know, traveling to the gig together, hanging out the whole night to from set up. Everything was all three of us 100 percent of the time. I like that a lot. It's it's not practical all the time for obvious reasons, uh, but we all happen to live about 10 minutes from each other. So we would generally meet at Denzel, our bass player's house and uh and load up one of our trucks and off we went, which was great. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. So but, I don't know. Yeah, Does I that envy, answer your question? I envy those groups that kind of seamlessly where everybody in the band thirsts for that moment. You know, you know, that that's a communal moment right before you're about to go out and do something cool. Yeah. So I think I think that's a cool thing. I recommend playing in a trio if you never have. Uh, <laughs> no, I like like to everybody. I recommend it. Not, you. I, am not, I am not near enough good enough a guitar player to pull off. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I I disagree. I I've seen you play, man, and and it's been a little while since I've seen you play. And I know you've kept playing, so that means that you've at the very worst maintained where you were the last time I saw you. And I know you're better th- than you were the last time I saw you. So. Yeah, I I think you are a good enough guitar player to handle a tree. I mean, don't go, you, you know, if if Hendrix is not your thing, then don't don't put any Hendrix songs in the set. But you no, know, you could you could you could handle a, being the guitar player in a trio. It's fun. I like it. You are more exposed. Every musician in a trio is more exposed. You got to, you know, fill space a lot more than you would in say a 10-piece band or, or even a 5-piece band. But 
Um, but it is fun. And, and there is that, that camaraderie becomes much more easily palpable in a trio than in a larger band. Although I will say, you know, bitter pill, we definitely have a camaraderie that, that rivals that of a trio, which is, I think rare. And I, for a six piece band and I like it, you know, so, yeah. I would imagine for an original band, the the challenge is the same for all people in the band to sell music that you know people don't know. You're kind That's of right. going into the yeah. into the equation, you know, that you recognize that you've got to you know you can't if things aren't going well just pull out Mustang Sally, right? Right, <laughs> right. I mean, we could. Nothing's stopping us from you know pulling out Mustang Sally. You know what but, I'm saying, though? But like, no, like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm just playing devil's hand, Yeah, exactly. The task at hand is to get music that you know is not familiar to people. Correct. And to make it familiar to people. Correct. Yep. Yep. Entertain them while introducing them to new music is is really yeah. the, the goal, right? And so you have to be entertaining regardless of what you're playing. And, of course, we could argue that that's true in cover band as well. But – you have an easier job at it if you can pull out, you know, Sweet Home Alabama and and, you know, sort of gloss over the fact that maybe you, you always have an escape hatch. you got an escape hatch. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think an original band should have an escape hatch, too, uh, for when things are going a little south. But uh, but yes, you're right. The, there is that shared mission of, yeah, we want people to leave humming our songs. And yeah. uh, and it's wonderful when that when that happens routinely. It's it's rare. And. I don't know if we had this conversation on the show, but uh, our guitar player, John, and I separately, but at the the exact same time period, were in original bands back in the 90s that each saw fairly decent success. Uh, I was in Go Figure. John was in a band called Fly Spinach Fly. They basically had from, you know, the, the Massachusetts border north and I'm, I'm oversimplifying. And we had from the Massachusetts border of Connecticut and South. And we only ever played one gig together. And we it took us a long time to realize that we had done it. But, um, you know, we, but we were in our 20s. And so we thought, well, this is just how it works. You know, you start an original band and then suddenly there's a thousand people at your shows and it's freaking amazing. And that's just normal. And then it falls apart for whatever reason. And. And then you realize how difficult it is for that to happen. And if you get to experience it once in your life, that's rare. And yeah. very rarely do you get to experience it a second time. And last summer, I remember sitting backstage with John at, at the Portsmouth Music Hall between our two shows that we played there. And they were both sold out shows and everything was selling out for us last summer. There were people, new people at every gig that like had T-shirts and knew the words and we had no idea who they were. And it was amazing. And John and I were talking about this and how we were saying, you know, the first time we had each experienced this, uh, we took it for granted. And this time we absolutely were very each intentionally not taking it for granted. Um, and and so, the, you know, it, it's it's a tough mission as as, you know, playing original music to to get that to happen. And you want to yeah, you want to both enjoy it, but also, you know, keep it moving at the same time. And so, yeah. But it's wonderful. I'll take it every time. I'll take it. I, I mean, sure. I yeah. I want to. I, I, you and I talked about this before the show, but I, I want to. Um, 
I think it would be interesting to have uh, Billy Butler from Bitter Pill on the show. I'd love yeah, to, just to talk. I, about- I would just be, I would just be, you know, knowing you as my friend, I would be really interested in hearing what comes out of him to connect the dots as to what caught your eye to get you excited about playing music with him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That would, yeah. 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 And I, I want to, I want to have him share his perspective of what it's like. And he's been doing this all his life. Um, but you know, specifically with bitter pill, what it's like, you know, we just put this album out. Obviously we're all involved in the recording of the record and some of the songs we were involved in the arrangement to, at different degrees, but, uh, but him as one of the chief songwriters in the band, you know, what it's like to kind of entrust your ideas to these other musicians that you know don't see the world the same way, right? Like circling back to our first conversation about musical chemistry, there's going they're going to be interpreted differently than you heard them in your mind most of the time. Sometimes it comes out exactly as you thought. In fact, there's a tune on the new record that Emily wrote called uh, Couldn't Care Less. And it, she was amazed with the first time we played it. She gave us a lot of direction as to how to play the song. And then she was like, oh, this is amazing. She's like, this is what I heard in my head. And now you guys just made it happen. She's like, this doesn't always happen, you know, and it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of cool when it does. What's that? That's what I was saying before. Yeah. That when you, you know, you got this feeling and sound in your head and you want to get it out and you know the pursuit of that is wonderful when it, amazing when it comes together and really soul crushing when it doesn't quite yes <laughs> yeah and i've been in the room when both of those things and i've been yeah. been responsible for causing both the the amazement and soul crushing through not intentionally on either side of it you know it just so happens that oh it came out this way and you know sometimes it's like oh no 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 <laughs> and then occasionally it's like yeah perfect it's like, okay, great. Moving on. Yeah, yeah. I saw something, Paul, while I was, you know, doing my, like, whatever, doom scrolling on Facebook. Every now and then something interesting shows up. This thing called the Venti Fan, V-E-N-T-Y. It is not something that is being marketed as for musicians. But what it is, it is a portable, battery-powered, folding, telescoping fan that for those reasons you can take and, and remote controlled fits in your bag, uh, can be short, tall, whatever. It's got a little light on the base if you want. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, wait a minute, you know, to throw this in your gig bag, you can have a fan on stage with you no matter where you are. You can plug it in if you want, but you don't have to um, because it's battery powered. So I don't know. I, 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 I wanted to put it on the list and tell people about it because it's it's small. It's maybe a, I don't know, eight inch across fan. And that's it. That's the size of this thing is it's eight inches across. And it when it folds mm-hmm. down um, and then and then you kind of telescope out of the base from it to to stand it up. But I could see it. So being my wife handy. actually found the this uh, it, it like wraps around your neck. And so the two fan heads are, you know, kind of. Pointed up at your head. Oh, you know, it, 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 yeah. No, that I'll up you one. All right, that's a. Yeah. What's the? Do you know the name of the thing that that your wife found? I'll get it. For, I'll get it for the show notes. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, that's interesting. Neck fan. The neck fan. I mean, that's a. Not only is it a fan, but now it's a look. That's part of your costume now, man. <laughs> yeah. <it. laughs> 
And live music is a visual art. You got to show people something. So now you can show them. Look, that's your number one fan that you're wearing right around your neck, isn't it? I'm sorry. It's bad. I'm sorry. It's bad. That's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I resisted saying that with the venti fan, and then you had to keep the thing going, and I, I it just, it had to come out, man. I'm sorry. I apologize, everyone. Yeah. You can see, you can yell at me about it. Feedback at gigabpodcast.com. We got anything else, or, or did I ruin it? Kind of taking all the <laughs> taking all the all air the out of it. Out of the, yeah, <laughs> this is getting worse. <laughs> I knew there was a reason we didn't record at midnight, Paul. I knew there was. So now, now we now we know why. Now we know. Is there anything else? Or are we uh, ready to move on? I think we're good. Okay, good, folks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for. Uh, Thanks for all that you do, all the interactions that we, all the emails we get from you. Truly, feedback at gigabpodcast.com. We want to, uh, we want to hear if from you. Do you. A pre, if you do a pre-show huddle, tell us about it. Please. Yeah. Let's get, let's get the best pre-show huddles on the show. I like it. Because with the pre-show huddle, you are sure to always be performing. Be. Be.